Well, here we are 2,000 years away from the moment that the blood was spilt for each one of us. And as we speak here today, the power has, lost, has, has not been lost by time. There's still power in the blood. Amen? The life of Jesus Christ. You look at this, the early church could have focused on anything. They could have brought a boat out and we could have boats sticking off of our churches and think about, man, look, Jesus is, is preaching ministry. Look at him, he was incredible. We could have loaves of bread and fish hanging off of churches and, and remember, man, look at Jesus. Man, he, he was a miraculous man. He did miracles amongst us. But yet the thing we focus on is the cross. And why do we focus on the cross? Is the cross separates us from every other religion on the face of the earth. Because at the cross, God himself became man and he, his flesh was beat and his blood was spilt to pay the price for you and I. Every other religion is works. Our faith is all about grace. We focus on the cross because there's power in the blood of Jesus Christ being spilled for every single one of us. Amen? Amen. Well, good deal. Let's take a seat in the house. We're going to get back to some singing here in a little bit, but I'm diving head in. I'm going off on the deep end here today. I'm just jumping wide in, and we're starting a new series here today called At the Cross because, man, I just believe there's so much power in the cross. It separates us from everything else. And man, when we walk truly in the power of everything's represented at the cross, there is so much freedom in the life in which we have, in the life in, and in the confidence in which we live in, as Angela was talking about here. As you heard here today, multiple different individuals have had this encounter. The cross is a confrontation. You, you can't get around it. It is a confrontation with humanity. Because if the cross truly happened, then we got a decision to make. How are we going to live in light of it? We can't get around it, right? We cannot get around the fact, man, the cross changes everything. Now, how many of you guys have ever been in a place in your life where you were lost before? Anybody been there before? You got lost. Jumped in a car, you got lost. Now, usually there's a lot of marriages that go through some conflict when you lost in a car. Now, Heather and I were on our honeymoon we went to Naples. We were in Naples. We actually went to Italy and we were in uh, Venice and then we went down to Naples and we went back up to Rome. A two-week honeymoon. Um, we were high on emotion, low on knowledge. That's uh, about what it was. But man, we, uh, we went out one day in Naples to explore and check out this beautiful place. Naples is the place where pizza was invented at. They have incredible pizza. It's awesome. Now, we were out exploring one day and it got a little late. Just having to get a little late, so we're like, let's jump on the bus and let's get back to our hotel. We don't know where we're at. We don't, we're in a city that we, we've never been to before, so we jump on this bus, and you know, we get going back towards the hotel. Well, you know, we're high on emotion and uh, you know, love, and I was probably whispering some sweet nothings or whatever, and we got caught up in conversation. So it just so happens we missed the drop-off point. We missed the drop-off point and uh, where our hotel was. And before we realized that we were two stops away from where we were supposed to get off. Now, in my infinite wisdom at 22 years old, I said, it's only logical to believe that if a, a bus goes one way, it's got to come back, right? <laughs> you know, what goes up must come down, law of gravity, right? What goes out must come back. So I said, hey, how about we just stay on the bus rather than walking a mile back to the hotel and uh, let's just stay on the bus and it'll come back and we'll get back off. So we get 30 minutes down the road and I'm like, yeah, it's, it's, we're nowhere close to it. It doesn't seem like we're going back. 
guess the law of gravity is not working here on this wise idea. Um, and then we get 45 minutes down the road and all of a sudden the bus stops. We're the last people on it, the dumb Americans in the back. And the guy gets off of the bus, the bus driver gets off of the bus. And I'm sitting there like, Heather and I are like, what is going on? So I'll run up here and I try to talk to this bus driver like, hey, what is going on? Like, uh, we need to get back to the hotel. You stop the bus. He has, he has no English. He, he kind of gets the gist of what I'm saying. So he's just pointing at bus station and this is the end of the road. No more. You need to go. And he's pointing at another bus stop over here. And so he's doing his best to like, hey, point at a bus stop. Like, you got to go over here. So we're like, uh, okay, we're at a bus station. I guess it's the end of the road. We got to jump on another bus. Well, we wind up, that it winds up, or it turns out that the bus station is in the worst part of Naples, the red light district. So Heather and I, 36 degrees, we, we had our wedding in January in uh, Italy. It is not, it is freezing cold. It snowed whenever we got on our train when we went from Rome all the way down to uh, Naples. It was freezing outside. It's misting at this moment in time. I got my young bride and my infinite wisdom has left us right here in this moment. Okay. Heather was not a happy camper. We'll just say that to put it lightly. We were sitting there waiting for this bus, 15 minutes, 30 minutes, 45 minutes. We saw ladies getting picked up and dropped off. I mean, it was horrible. We're out in the middle of this. We're lost. We're cold and frustrated. Now the thing about being lost is this one, you're wasting time. You have a lot better things in life to be doing than be sitting around wasting time because you are lost. You don't know where you're at. The second thing on this is it's frustrating and scary. You don't know where you're at. You don't know what's on the other side of it, especially when we're sitting out in the middle of there. It's like, we're in the red light district. Is this like, are we going to get mugged? Are we going to get this? I mean, I don't know what's going on. Heather, literally, when we got back to the hotel, we're on, we're on the second part of this journey, probably like six or seven days into the journey. We get back to the hotel. She immediately is a Googling. She's Googling. How do we get back on a plane and get home? That's how bad I screwed up right there. She's like, how do I get out of this place? <laughs> it turned out to be way too much money to get back at that moment in time. So I was like, sorry us. We get to stay. Sweet. Awesome. How many more mistakes can I make? Uh, but it's frustrating and it's scary. You don't know where you're at and what's going to happen right on the other side of this. And you know what the reality is? Being lost and the state of being lost is exactly where humanity was when Jesus entered into the world and exactly where humanity exists right now. Lost. Lost. You know, we get to this, this day and you, and you think about the crucifixion and at the cross and all that's happened on it. And you know, what has happened over time is that we've created a holiday around this day we're supposed to be observing, the greatest day possibly in our lives, the day in which the Savior laid down his life and paid the price for us. And here we are today, let's think about the commercialism behind it. We got a bunny that doesn't lay eggs. We put candy in plastic. We throw it over ground and we say, kids, go chase after it. And we're like, yeah, <laughs> it's amazing. Oh, Easter was so awesome this past year. But it's so far away from the intent that the creator of the universe had for what we would receive from it, how it would affect us. You know, I say it this way, culture celebrates Easter, but Easter has little cultural relevance to the lives of those in our culture has little 
change to them. It has a little, that I put it up here. Okay, Easter is something, they put it up there. I say, I have to quote it exactly now. Easter is something that is culturally celebrated, but it has very little effect on culture's living. It's become something that we, we know about, but it has no real transformation in our lives. We look forward to it because family gets together, but do we look forward to it because we get to focus on Jesus and the price was paid for us? You know, the Bible says that in darkness, the people lived, but a great light shone whenever Jesus stepped into the environment. This great light shone before all men. And here we are in a world in which Jesus stepped into where there was darkness. And you know, he came to say that everybody was lost, that we are all lost on both sides of the coin. We are all lost. You come to a scripture in uh, Matthew or Luke chapter 15, you read all the way through this book. This is a story of lost things. And Jesus is indicating to his, uh, people that he's preaching to, everyone is lost. You know what it says on the front of Luke 15, which is, I think is fascinating, that the religious people were so frustrated that Jesus hung out with sinners. He hung out with lost people. He hung out with people that are far from God. They, you know, they were so frustrated with it. It says here, tax collectors and other notorious sinners often came and listened to Jesus teach. Isn't that awesome? Yeah. That people were coming to hear from Jesus. It says this made the Pharisees and the teachers of religious law complain that he was associating with such sinful people, even eating with them. Are you kidding me? And so what is Jesus doing inside of here? Luke 15, he's setting it up. He's putting it right before people that are religious and saying, let me just tell you a few stories right now to bring some clarity to the heavenly father's heart. He would go on to speak of a lost sheep, that when the lost sheep is lost, man, wouldn't an owner go out and capture that lost sheep and sheep and come back and rejoice over the lost sheep being found? And whenever a, a coin is lost, wouldn't you turn the house upside down? And when you find that coin, you would say rejoice. And then he would go into the story of what is known as the prodigal son story. And we'll jump into this story right here. The prodigal son story, historically, when we look about it, and it's mostly been preached in this manner. The prodigal son is all about that individual, the younger son that said, give me what's mine. Give me my inheritance. And he went off and squandered. Everybody in here can get behind that. Everybody can be like, oh, that's, that's, that's you know, injustice at his finest. Why would he take from his father and then go just waste the inheritance? Why would he do that? Everybody can get behind that because we can judge it and be like, man, that guy was terrible. I can't believe he went to Vegas and just completely did that. I mean, how, how dumb is that, Right. His dad you know, built, this, you know, built this incredible life and, and, and attained this wealth, and he just took this money and went to Vegas and just squandered? That's horrible. Everybody can get behind that. But what if we're on the other side of that coin? What if we're the older brother in here, and we're like, hey, we stayed here, and we hung out with you, Jesus. We hung out. We, we, we haven't done anything wrong. We were over here on this side. Like, yeah, we, we've been here. We followed the rules. We did everything. You know what Jesus is bringing up inside of here? There's a prodigal son. The other is a son that lived a life of wasteful spending, but there's two lost sons in this story. There's the one that lives his life away from God, but then there's the other one that is living his life to work himself into the approval of God. The first one, let's look at it. The first one is the son that you can, you can pretty much say, and maybe you're sitting in here today and you are this individual. You're the atheist. You're the agnostic. You're the individual that wants to receive all of who God is. You want all the benefits. You want breath in your lungs. <gasps> Thank you, Jesus. <sighs> you want all of life and what it gives to you. It's me, 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 I, I, I. It's my world, my thing. It's all about what I can get. Me, 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 I, I, I. 
You don't want any accountability to anything outside of your decision. Now, here we are in a world today that is saying, let's elevate the individual above the creator. This is the worldview of, of, of common belief in our society today. If you feel it, go for it. Why not just live to your, your desires? That there is no eternal faith. There is no eternal judgment. You have the here, you have the now, and there's no consequences for it. You know what the reality is? That type of thinking does not philosophically hold up for humanity. It only holds up for an individual. But all we need to do is convince an individual. That's all the enemy needs to do. Convince the individual that it's about you and your thing and your world and your ideas. And it's all about you. As long as you're happy, you're good. What is the enemy doing through that? It's elevating the individual to be their own God. If I think it, I feel it, I do it. What harm is there to anybody else? It is an atheistic, no other God except for me. You know, in, uh, in Exodus 20, the first commandment that was stated, the first commandment was, there shall be no other God before me. Why was that? God knew if he was at the highest priority in your life, everything else would flow from there. He knew if you weren't your Lord, then you yourself would fall in alignment with the righteousness of his order. Because he is God and you're moving in his direction. He's your highest form of affection. So you're going to live to honor him. There shall be no other God before me. Now, this is the world in which we live in. Naturalism, relativism, my idea is my thing. And we got to be careful inside of this world. You may be this individual sitting here today. You may know of God, but you do not put him as Lord inside of your life. You could be this individual. I just want to do my own thing. You could show up to church on Sunday. You could show up in here and sing every single song. But when you walk out of this room, the life of Jesus Christ has no impact on your living and your decisions. You know, there's a book written called Everybody Lies. And it's a whole study that's all about your Google searches, our Google searches. Let me put me in this, right? <laughs> I bet you my Google searches, people sometimes are like, he's a pastor? I'm searching, man. I'm going after some stuff. I'm like, man, what is going on in the world? This is jacked up, man. What happened over here? What happened over there? What? I mean, it's pretty funny. I'm not doing anything in more, okay? You're like, wait a minute. What's the pastor saying? <laughs> but I look up a lot of stuff because I want to be in the know, right? But it, it, the whole study is that these analytics of Google knows you better than you know yourself. That we say we have these high moral values and these high moral standards, but our actual searches look a little bit different. When we say we don't want to compare ourselves to anybody else or judge ourselves to anybody else, yes, social media is unbelievable. We get on there like, oh, I can't believe it. Uh-uh-uh. Uh-uh-uh, right? We can be a little judgmental, just a little bit, right? Right? Google searches don't lie. We can. Right? We believe that, man, child, child labor is horrible, but some of us got some Nike on. Right? Some of us believe in, you know, we shouldn't, the, the relationship dynamics should not be domineering and all this other stuff. And uh, I'm not going to get into those trenches, but man, 50 Shades of Grey has sold 121 million copies. We will say something to man, but we will live something behind the scenes. Let me just tell you, everybody is lost. Jesus has come to this world to say, everybody is lost. You are lost. I am lost. That's why Jesus says, I did not come for those that thank themselves righteous. They're lost. Your righteousness is filthy rags compared to mine. Right? We're all lost. 
The other side of this is the older brother. He's the religious guy, the rule follower. I've been here the whole time, dad. I have not asked for anything from you. I've been here though. I followed the rules. I've been here. You know what happens inside of this story? How crazy this is. This son, whenever the dad comes home with the lost son, he's like, let's throw a party. You know what the son does? He sits outside and says, I'm not going into the party. I can't believe that my father would do this for such a horrible individual. That's religious right there. That's a religious spirit. The religious spirit is prideful. The religious spirit is haughty. The religious spirit is self-righteous. Look at me compared to them. They're less than me. They're horrible. I can't believe that. I can't believe that person would do that. Oh, you're saved now. Oh, really? And walking around constantly with the religious spirit, with their arms folded and their nose up in the air about, can't believe them. Both individuals are lost. They are lost. Jesus is saying, you may know about me, but if I have no transformation in your life that changes your living, you don't know me. You can come to church as much as you want. You can quote as much scripture as you want. You don't know me. What does Jesus say to the Pharisees? You're a white washed tomb. You look good on the outside, but your heart is far from me. There's two sides of this coin. We are all lost and we, we got to get that through our heads. We live in a world that's saying, you're good. I'm telling you, you're not good. Jesus came to say, you're not good. Get over yourself. Stop with your crazy ideas. You cannot work yourself into heaven. Doesn't matter how long you've gone to church or how many times you show up to church. If you do not know Jesus and you are living by the power of his spirit every single day and operating in love towards the world, you do not know God. He loved, so we love, the Bible tells us. Amen? So the second, the third part of this, I would say, is the prodigal. The prodigal son is what the story would be called. But Tim Keller, author and Tim Keller, puts it this way, and I thought it was brilliant. He says, there's the prodigal son, and prodigal, prodigal when, you, when you research it, prodigal means this, lavish spending, to the point excessive, right? Now, we look at that in the story of the prodigal son because he took from his father, and then he went and just squandered his wasteful spending. But think about inside of this story, a prodigal God. On the back end of this, there's a prodigal, prodigal God that Jesus is trying to bring into the picture for all of humanity. A lavish God that does over and above for us. Think about in this story, the Bible, and the Bible would tell us that the father, when he was on the edge of his property and the son was a long way off, he became undignified in his pursuit. In a patriarchal society, a, a, a father would never lift up his cloak to expose his, his, his legs underneath. He would never be seen running after a son or running after anything. That'd be undignified in that culture. But Jesus is trying to indicate to this very religious group of people and sinners, the heavenly father is a prodigal God. He is a God that lavishly, to the point where he has made a mockery, runs after us. He is a person that loves us. He is a person that when a sheep is lost, he goes after it. When a coin is lost, he flips the house upside down. And when a son is lost, he becomes undignified to go after them. He is trying to bring clarity to this is the God. It's different than every other God. 
Many religions think of God as this far distant thing that doesn't know anything that's going on on this earth. They're just far old, distant, knows nothing. The flip side of that is there's these, a, a God that is this completely judgmental God that he's just waiting to send down lightning bolts and strike people. Ah. They see him as this wrathful God. Oh, come on. We've been, in the, we've been on here before. God doesn't care. I'm going to do my own thing. Oh, God really cares. I'm not stepping foot in church because the lightning bolt might go off. Right now, obviously, that's immature. But the concept is still there. There's a wrathful God. Now, there is judgment coming. Let me just be straight up with you. Judgment is coming for every word and deed that you did here on this earth. Earth is a big test of how you are, you know, your love for your creator and your honor towards him. As I say it all the time, what is hell? Hell is a place for everybody that decided to live away from God here on earth, that he gave them over to their desires and they're living forever and eternity away from him. That's hell. He gave you over and gives us over to our desires here on this earth. We will spend eternity with that separated from God, weeping and gnashing of teeth. Oh, what is gnashing of teeth? You ever been there before where you gnashed your teeth? Oh, I missed that opportunity. I should have invested in Tesla two years ago. Oh, oh that was just me. Sorry. Oh, that's gnashing. I missed it. You don't want to be gnashing your teeth. Oh, I missed that opportunity. Oh, I missed that opportunity. Man, I should have known, man. So many times he became undignified and found me. Oh, I missed that opportunity. It's a prodigal God. He lavishly loves us. He lavishly goes after us. He became undignified in his pursuit of us. It's what Jesus is trying to indicate. And when he found us, what did he do? Let's throw a party. Let's throw this massive party for this son that was lost and now he's found. The point I want to make is here we are today and we can live here on both sides of this coin. We can be in this realm where we're in a place where we feel like, man, we, we're so far gone. We're living to be our own lords and do our own thing. We could be on this. We're so religious that we feel like our works is going to attain and reach heaven. Both of them don't meet the mark. And both of us, both of them leave us empty. Yes, there is a God that is coming and he is going to judge. Yes, there is a God that is a wrathful God. He is bringing wrath on the earth. Let's be very clear. He's bringing wrath on the earth. You want to see this lived out in the Old Testament? Go back to uh, Moses leading the children of Israel out of, the, uh, uh, of Egypt. What was the last plague that came upon the Egyptians? Was death. But the blood that covered the doorpost, a life for a life, the blood of the animal covered the door, doorpost that saved the Jewish people's firstborn. His wrath was coming down to earth to release his people from slavery. What is the one thing that's going to protect us here when the wrath of God comes down to earth? The blood of Jesus Christ. You ever been in that place where your kid got scared? Ah! What do they do? They go running to get behind you, right? Now for me, when I get scared, I throw my wife in front of me. I don't know about you. Just trying to protect numero one, all right? But kids, they throw you in front of them, right? That there's this thing coming, you're my protector. The same thing is true about the blood of Jesus Christ. It was his life that is our protection. He stands in the way. Wrath is coming. 
Now here's the deal. The wrath that we think about is not God's judgment on hate on people. It's God's judgment and hate of sin. You ever get so mad at your, your child for something they did? But it's not that you hate your child. You hate the actions that came out of your child. You, you hate the thing that is in this world that drove your child to act in that direction. Right? We have a two-year-old right now named Brinley. She acts just like her mom. She's pretty aggressive. <laughs> and so when Brinley doesn't get something, she immediately closed fists like swinging at your face. Crazy. The girl, I mean, she's literally, we have Ellis, which is sweet and like mom, motherly. Then you have Brinley is like, she'll literally like, she'll just be standing like, uh, like, whoa. Right. Just yesterday, she was just swinging. She hit me in the face. I was like, I didn't know where I was at for a second. I was like, Brinley, nice, nice right hook. Cool. We good. But you can't do that. Okay. Now, my frustration is with the intention of her heart that she feels like that brings resolution. The intent of her heart is from evil. It's from sin. Right? When we know Jesus, we act in love. When we don't know Jesus, we act in self-righteousness. We we act in, you know, focusing on numero one. My world, my thing. I'm going to harm you before you harm me. I'm going to... And so my wrath, my frustration is not with my child, my frustration is with the sin, the actions, the decisions. So let's be clear in here. We do not serve a God of wrath. We serve a God of love. But we serve a God that hates sin and is trying to defeat sin in your life that is separating you from him. He is a God that is bringing judgment here on this earth. But here's what we find inside of the scripture. This prodigal God became undignified to chase us down. He threw a party to celebrate, man, a lost son coming back and being saved, being found. You had one older son that sat outside and would not repent. He knew. He he was well aware of what was going on, but he sat outside and simply judged the father. I can't believe God. I can't believe my father. The other side of this coin is the man that knew he was a sinner. He came and he repented. Let me be clear today. If you do not repent of your sins, you accept Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, but there is no repentance for your heart that is against God. Your atheistic, agnostic, relative, naturalist, whatever it is that you've, philosophy you've latched hold of to make yourself feel good for a moment is not going to last for eternity. If you do not repent of your thinking away from God, you could do it on your own. If there is no repentance, there is no salvation. Jesus says the son that knew he had sinned, he came and he repented to his father. He came and said, I've sinned before you. I'm not worthy to even be a servant in your household. And he said, go grab a robe for him. Go get a ring and put it back on his finger. He knows who he is. He knows that he's lost. He knows that he is hurting and he knows he needs me. Go ahead and put dignity back in him. Go back and restore him, establish him. Let me just tell you, we serve a prodigal God that he himself loves us so much that he himself 
came down to this earth. That is the cross. Jesus, who knew no sin, became sin for our righteousness. He had to pay the price of our wrong decisions, our ignorance. He had to pay the price for our decisions out of alignment with the will of God. He took it upon his back. The cross is where our debt is paid. And yes, a debt has to be paid. It has to be paid. Come on, anybody got a mortgage on your house? Got a mortgage? Yes, we do. Some of us more than others. If you just went in there and said, hey, I just got a plan. How about you just forgive me of my debt? They'd be like, uh, no, you made a decision to buy the house, so it's time for you to pay the debt. You don't just get away with uh, walking away from this debt, although some people do. Try. It doesn't work. When you got a debt, the debt has to be paid, and that bank is going to come collect on you, or else they're going to move you out of that house. Anytime there is a debt in life, it has to be paid. The same thing is true about our spiritual lives. When we have sinned against God, there's repentance that's got to come to our heart to say, we have failed you, God. You are a loving God. We don't want to do this on our own. We don't want to, we don't want to try to go about this ourselves. We don't want to be our own lords. Jesus, we want you to be our lords. You paid the price. We want you to stand in our, in, our, in our place. We want to stand behind you when the wrath of God comes. We want to get behind you in your blood that is your life for our life. You know, I got caught up watching. Anybody ever get caught up watching YouTube videos and you just start watching, 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 watching? I got caught up watching the, the tsunami in Japan a couple years ago. And I got caught up watching it. I, as a pastor, I'm just sitting there watching this, looking at every individual on here thinking, what happened to this person? Did, did, this person, did this person find safety? Did they find higher ground? What happened to this person? I mean, kids are playing, sirens are going off. They're sirens, cars are just driving as if nothing is going on. And I'm sitting here as a pastor, I mean, obviously it's in retrospect, but I'm looking at it thinking like, man, if this person would have just heeded the warning right here, they might be able to get to safety that they might be able to escape the impending tsunami that has the power to take their life. I think what I was doing, I was getting caught up in, man, there's an opportunity these guys have with the siren going off to find safety. Just go. And I'm like sitting there trying to just convince them through a screen that's obviously retrospective. But as I stand here today, I feel the same urgency in me towards you and me, that we're lost. You know what they say in psychology, with all this personal individualism, all this stuff, what they say in psychology is, when we elevate the individual to have all a man's answers and solutions, the individual has no reprieve from the evil that humans face and, and see in life. So if we are our highest form of truth and we come to the end of ourselves and say, well, how do we find a solution to the evil that exists in humanity? And we try to look in humanity, we'll never come to a solution. So we live in a state of depression. There's no resolve. That's why humans need a savior. We can't save ourselves. There's no resolve to that, that ending there. We can't look at humanity because we're like, dude, humanity is jacked up. 
their truth obviously can't be the truth. There's got to be absolutes that are greater than human truth. There's got to be. So we come back to this place and say, okay, well then let's look at the order that God has and the plan and design God has for freedom of our souls that we can live with purpose. We can live with meaning. We don't just exist and die, but we have purpose behind the life in which we live. The Bible says the hope set before, the hope set before Jesus in the cross, uh, the hope set before him, Jesus endured the cross. That he looked at it and said, man, what's on the other side of this for humanity? I'm going to face it. Who was hanging on the cross? Was it Jesus or was it us? Jesus' body, but our sin. You know, crucifixion was the most brutal death that anybody could face at that moment in time. The Persians created it in 500 BC. Romans took it on to kill any revolutionaries against the empire. Do you know, no artist showed a cross in their art until after the, the individuals that lived during the time the cross was used died. Nobody wanted to represent that symbolism, knowing how horrific it was, nobody wanted to show a cross in their art. And it wasn't until an artist's memory, they never saw it happen, did they actually reveal it in their art. Did you know a word was created in how horrific the cross is? It's a word you know as excruciating. Excruciating, it was a word created by crucifixion. The penalty of our sin, the debt of our sin had to be paid. And God said, I'm gonna put it all on my son, Jesus. He's going to take the price. He's gonna pay the debt. What the Romans would do is they would take a lead tipped whip with bone on the end of it also. And they just begin to whip the individuals and Jesus' flesh would just be ripped out. Intestines be ripped out, face just ripped off. In Isaiah 52, it speaks of this moment in time that the son of man would be unrecognizable after he was beat. Jesus took all of our sin, all of our self-righteousness, all of our agnostic and atheistic ideas, all of our relative and naturalistic philosophies, took all of that chaos that comes from that life and prayed the price on the cross. You know, the first person that went to heaven by the blood of Jesus Christ, was a sinner that was right next to him on a cross. I'll just tell you today, there is nothing you have ever done that would remove you from an undignified heavenly father, prodigal God coming after you to meet you here today. There's nothing you've ever done, nothing you've ever said, nothing you've ever done. You know, today you think about the Roman soldiers. The Roman soldiers beat Jesus, the son of God. They spit on him. They mocked him. What did Jesus say? Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. He didn't say, hey, this salvation is for everybody else except these guys that are killing me. Father, forgive them for they know not what they do. You may be here today and you have said some really egregious things towards the creator of the universe. You've rallied a whole bunch of people against the creator of the universe. You've spit on God. You've spit on the creator of the universe. But let me just tell you, there is nothing you've done that will separate you from his love.
You can get a gift though, but here's the deal. If you don't open that gift, you'll never receive the benefits of it. You can know all about the gift, but never receive the benefit of the gift. This is a free gift. No one can work themselves into this gift. Not one of us are good. As Romans talks about, it would say in Romans, Romans 3.23, it says, for everyone has sinned. We all fall short of God's glorious standard. Yet God in his grace freely makes us right in his sight. He did this through Christ Jesus when he freed us from the penalty of our sin. No one can boast about this. It is a free gift. Let me just tell you today, if you have lived a life to this moment in time and you know about the cross, you know about Jesus, but you've never opened the gift to receive it into your life that has transformed you, it has changed you. You have repented of your agnostic atheistic ideas and you have turned towards the creator to say, I'm gonna live in this design accountable to you. If you've never done that, it's time to open the gift and receive the gift eternally. Amen? It's time to repent. Repent, repent, turn from your selfish ways and repent. I know it's not a culturally popular word. It's probably politically incorrect, but it's biblical. So let's start preaching the Bible and preach the Bible in its truth and its full measure of the truth so that we can be set free. We wanna be set free from these crazy ideas in this crazy world. And we wanna walk in the righteousness of God to experience true freedom. That's what Jesus said, I've come to give life and life abundantly. I've come to give life and life abundantly. So if you're here today and you never said yes to Jesus, you're ready to come to the end of yourself. The Bible's clear on this. If you acknowledge Jesus before man, he will acknowledge you in heaven. If you're not too proud to be like, you know what? I'm no longer gonna be El Jefe anymore. No longer gonna be number one. No longer gonna be king of my own kingdom. I want to be a servant in his. The Bible tells us that he himself did not come to be served, but to serve and give his life as a ransom for many. That's what he did. If you're here and you don't know Jesus, you've never said yes to Jesus, you've never turned from your life and your world and your thing to follow Jesus and live according to his thing, his design. Today's the day to say, yeah, I'm, I'm gonna get in order. I'm gonna get in alignment. It's time to stop running. It's time to have this confrontation with the cross. It's time to stop being lost. And now I wanna be found. I wanna, I don't wanna, I wanna be lost anymore. I wanna be found. I don't wanna live in fear of what tomorrow holds. I wanna live in faith of all that I have, the security that I have in Jesus Christ, amen. If you're here and you never said yes to Jesus, Head bowed and eyes closed. If you're here just for a moment, just I'm gonna ask a quick question, then we'll stand to our feet. Go ahead, let's just stand to our feet real quick. We'll do it, we'll do it right now. If you've never said yes to Jesus, today is your day. You're getting off at the right bus stop. You're coming to the right place, the right encounter, the right confrontation. You have the right blood that's gonna atone your sin. It's gonna wash you as white as snow. You're in the right place, right time. 
to see transformation in your life. If this is you and you never said yes to Jesus, head bowed and eye closed. Raise your hand at me, wave at me. Say, today's my day to receive Jesus as my Lord and Savior. Repent of my sins and turn towards you. Wave at me, hands all over the room. Amen. Let's all just say a prayer just simply together. Say, Jesus, we thank you that you gave your life for us. Forgive us where we missed the mark. Come into our heart, change our lives, make us new today. We're gonna follow you to the best of our ability to the end of time. In Jesus' name we pray and everybody says amen and amen, 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 amen. Now here's the deal. Revelations 11 tells us that we are overcomers by the blood of the Lamb. Amen. But he also tells us by the power of our testimony. And so today you got to walk away from something that you say, I used to be, but the blood of Jesus Christ has now made me X, Y, and Z. We are overcomers. Every time we share our testimony, we turn into Chuck Norris, John Claude Van Damme, whoever it may be, kicking the devil upside his head to let him know we are redeemed by the blood of Jesus Christ and his power is greater than sin. So on day one, Jesus gave his life. They put him into a tomb and hell was rejoicing. And let me just tell you, hell was rejoicing year number one that you were caught up in your sin. Day number two, hell was rejoicing because they thought they killed the Son of Man. Year number 10, where you were dead in your sin, hell was rejoicing over your life. But let me just tell you, today may be the day, you know, Easter Sunday, that the tomb was rolled back, the stone was rolled back. And Jesus, what he said is he was tearing down the old system. He was going to tear it down and rebuild it on the third day. And that's exactly what happened. Jesus revealed that he was the son of God. And he not only had power to do miracles here on this earth, but he had power to confront sin, confront death, and confront this very thing that every human struggles with. What does eternity look like? He conquered he death, hell, and the grave today. So if you're here and you know Jesus Christ, he came out of that tomb, he conquered death, hell, and the grave. And the only way a king gets a title of king is if he's conquered. And what we know is our Savior has conquered. All hail King Jesus. He is our King. He is our Lord. He is our Savior. He is our Messiah. He paid the price and he conquered the very sin that held us in bondage. Come on, celebrate as we sing right now. The prison doors that have come off your life, the chains that have been broken off your life. When hell was rejoicing over you, when you were dead in your sin, can we rejoice today? Because Jesus conquered death, hell, and the grave, and we fear nothing other than God himself. Come on, let's sing it out.